When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The following podcast contains explicit language. If Putin likes Donald Trump, I consider that an asset, not a liability. We could make deals in Russia very easily if we wanted to. I just don't want to because I think that would be a conflict. I have a no conflict of interest provision as president. As far as BuzzFeed, which is a failing pile of garbage... Hello and welcome to Trumpcast, the show about the man who calls BuzzFeed a failing pile of garbage, Donald Trump. I'm Jacob Weisberg. What is a failing pile of garbage? Is it garbage that gets piled too high and it falls over and so it's not a pile? Or is it a pile of stuff that is sub-garbage, maybe because it still has some recycling value? Anyhow, the authoritarian circus has come to town. In case you've had your head buried in the sand, which would be totally understandable, here's the Trump newsreel update. Headline, Trump spokesman Sean Spicer warns a CNN reporter that he'll be banned from future news conferences if he tries to ask questions Trump doesn't want to answer. Twitter exclusive, Donald Trump tells people to shop at L.L. Bean because Linda Bean an heir to the main company, supports him. Update. He accidentally links to a lobster wholesaler instead. Developing. Trump falsely claims that James Clapper, the director of national intelligence, told him that the 35-page intelligence report on his Russia ties was fictitious and false. Breaking. Struggling to find celebrities to perform at his inauguration, Trump retains the B Street Band, a Bruce Springsteen tribute group. Update. Trump again credits Russian sources denying that they've got anything on him. Report. Marine Le Pen, the leader of France's National Front Party, pays a visit to Trump Tower. Headline. Trump says the Affordable Care Act will soon be history. Update. Trump says all of his nominees for the cabinet are looking good and doing a great job. It's one of those nominations, Alabama Senator Jeff Sessions, who Trump named to be his attorney general, that I want to turn to today. But first, I have an announcement. Two big live shows coming up. On January 25th in New York, I'll be on a panel with other top editors discussing how the media should cover Donald Trump. I'll be joined by Slate's Julia Turner, David Remnick of The New Yorker, Borja Echevera of Univision, Lydia Polgreen of The Huffington Post, and Brian Stelter of CNN. Profits from the event will go to support the Committee to Protect Journalists. And on February 6th, I'll be in Washington, D.C. for a live Trumpcast with my co-hosts, Jamel Bowie and Virginia Heffernan, discussing the first days of the new administration. For more information and tickets to either show, go to slate.com slash live. I hope I'll see you there. So in a minute, I'll be speaking to Professor David Cole, the National Legal Director of the American Civil Liberties Union, about Jeff Sessions. 
right after we do the tweets. Intelligence agencies should never have allowed this fake news to leak into the public. One last shot at me. Are we living in Nazi Germany? I win an election easily. A great movement is verified and crooked opponents try to belittle our victory with fake news. A sorry state. Russia has never tried to use leverage over me. I have nothing to do with Russia. No deals, no loans, no nothing. Russia just said the unverified report paid for by political opponents is a complete and total fabrication. Utter nonsense. Very unfair. James Clapper called me yesterday to denounce the false and fictitious report that was illegally circulated. Made up, phony facts, too bad. CNN is in a total meltdown with their fake news because their ratings are tanking since the election and their credibility will soon be gone. My guest today is David Cole. He's the National Legal Director of the American Civil Liberties Union and a professor of law at Georgetown. He also writes frequently about constitutional and legal issues for the New York Review of Books. David, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Jacob. So you testified about Jeff Sessions' nomination to be attorney general on Wednesday. How do you think the hearings are going? I mean, is there any chance at all he's not going to be confirmed? Well, um, you know, I'm not I'm not optimistic on that front. Uh, it, it, it felt to me like the um, tradition of senatorial courtesy uh, and the fact that the Republicans have uh, a majority in the Senate combined to lead the Democrats to uh, not really go for the jugular with respect to um, Senator Sessions. And there's there's lots that they could have attacked him on, uh, and for the most part, they, uh, they, they really didn't. So I don't see the will there uh, at this point. Uh, that said, I think it's really important that many civil rights and civil liberties organizations have raised their uh, concerns about this, uh, about this appointment. And, you know, going forward, those concerns sort of put on the map uh, reasons to be to be focused on how he performs and and areas in which we should be pushing back if he fails to perform uh, the job he's supposed to be doing. So let's talk about what those concerns are. And foremost, I think you'd have to say is civil rights and race. There's there are both some issues about the question of Senator Sen- Sessions' personal bias, which came up when he was rejected as a U.S. District Court appointee in 1986 but also about his efforts to enforce or not enforce civil rights law when he was state attorney general in Alabama, right? That's right. And, and uh, this has gotten really the most uh, attention, in, in, as you say, in, in large part, because this is what killed his nomination in 1986. And it is, it is kind of ironic that the, 
that in a, with a Republican majority Judiciary Committee, uh, when he was appointed to be a federal district court judge, uh, he was uh, turned down. Uh, and now he's he's up for consideration for the most powerful law enforcement post in the in the world, you know, effectively, uh, and the Judiciary Committee is very likely to give him a uh, pass. It's not as if the concerns raised then uh, have been assuaged uh, over time. So the concerns then were he, he, he called uh, an African-American colleague that he was working with, boy, uh, that he he said about the KKK that he thought they were a pretty good organization until he learned that some of them smoked pot. Uh, which, which he may, says is a joke, right? Yeah, it may or may not have been a joke, but you know, it, whether there are some things you just don't joke about, and you don't joke about uh, two African Americans, just like you don't joke about the Holocaust uh, to uh, Jewish colleagues. You don't joke about an organization that was formed to uh, and engaged in massive lynching uh, to an African American colleague, and uh, you know, he he didn't just talk uh, that way; he also acted that way. So when the Voting Rights Act um, led to a increase in black voting in Alabama from zero, uh, effectively zero black voters in 1965 in Alabama to about 70,000 uh, by the by the late 70s, uh, early 80s. Uh, you know, many people saw that as cause for celebration, uh, but uh, Jeff Sessions uh, saw that as something to investigate, and he conducted a, a, a wide-ranging, intrusive investigation of just those areas where black voting had gone up, uh, and ultimately uh, uh, prosecuted three uh, civil rights heroes, uh, one who had walked across uh, Selma uh, Bridge with, uh, with John Lewis, um, for essentially uh, helping to get out the black vote. Uh, that prosecution ultimately led to the dismissal of uh, more than half the charges before trial by the judge because there was no basis for them whatsoever. Uh, then, then Sessions went forward with the trial, uh, three-week trial, and the jury came back in three hours and acquitted uh, unanimously every one of the, uh, of the, uh, of the activists. And since then, you know, as as senator, he can't prosecute people any longer. He can't abuse that power. He doesn't have that power. But uh, he has supported felony felon disenfranchisement laws, which disproportionately suppress black votes. He supported voter ID laws, uh, which are aimed at a at a at a false uh, problem of of, of impersonation uh, at the voting booth, which doesn't exist, but really are aimed at uh, suppressing black votes because African Americans tend to be less likely to have access to the ID that's required. And when the Supreme Court uh, a few years ago gutted the Voting Rights Act, took out the most effective enforcement mechanism in the Voting Rights Act, what was Jeff Sessions' response? It's a good day for the South. Senator Sessions and, and his allies and the Republicans in the Senate and on the Judiciary Committee have sort of turned this on its head in a funny way and have been trying to make the case that the NAACP testimony is somehow racist about white people, that there are these unfair accusations about whites and conservatives implying that they're racist because they take positions like supporting voter ID, which they argue, well, there's no racial dimension. It's, it's, uh, it's racially neutral. They just think people should have to produce ID to vote. Right. So, so you know, if there was a real problem with voter impersonation fraud, uh, then that might make some sense. But, you know, there, there's been uh, no evidence whatsoever that there is a problem with voter impersonation fraud. And, and it makes sense, right? Because there are serious criminal penalties if you 
go to the polls, impersonate someone in order to vote when you don't have the, um, the, the, the right to vote. Serious, you face serious criminal penalties. So that's on the downside, right? What's the upside of your voting? What's the likelihood that if you go in there and risk criminal prosecution, that you're going to actually uh, swing the election? Zero. There's zero percent chance that your vote is going to swing the election. So not surprisingly, people don't do it. Uh, and But what you see is a concerted effort by the Republicans, and it's almost always a, a party line vote, uh, to put in place voter ID laws and to make them as stringent as possible, uh, knowing uh, knowing that Young people, poor people, and African Americans are less likely to have the kinds of IDs uh, that are required in order to get to the vote. It's 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 just about suppressing the votes of those who will not vote, who are not likely to vote uh, for uh, Republicans. If you like Jeff Sessions, grew up in Alabama in the 1950s and 60s, and and were around politics. I mean, the, the context, as you say, was just overwhelmingly racist. Black people were prevented from voting. Uh, there was there was explicit and implicit racism. There was uh, legal de- desegregation, and politicians who emerged out of that might do two things that we could find acceptable. One would, of course, be to repudiate it and have a have a change of heart and announce it. Another. Uh, might be just to accommodate the new reality of a post-segregation society. Uh, I guess the case for Sessions is that he's one of the latter. He hasn't made a lot of noise about a change of heart on racism, discrimination, and the earlier segregation. But he professes now to be race neutral. He hasn't made the kinds of comments in recent years that are cited from his past. Do you think there's any possibility there that Jeff Sessions has kind of come around? He's just not making a fuss about it? Well, I, don't, I mean, I think he's come around in terms of, yeah, ad- admitting that the stuff that happened way back then was wrong. Uh, you know, at this point where there's nothing that can be done about it, yeah, he'll admit that this, what happened in the, in the, you know, 50s and 60s was wrong. But at the time when he had, you know, the authority to do something about it in, in the 1980s, uh, he was taking actions that were counter to the progress and were directly tar- targeted the progress that the Voting Rights Act created. And then, you know, it was just two, three years ago that the Supreme Court decision came down gutting the Voting Rights Act. And Jeff Sessions didn't say, you know what, you know, we really continue to need the Voting Rights Act because uh, these are problems that we need to get beyond. Uh, he said it was a good day for the South. Uh, and, you know, what happened in the wake of that uh, was that uh, legislatures throughout the South began introducing laws and practices that were designed to suppress the black vote. Before the Supreme Court's decision, they couldn't do that without first going to the Justice Department and getting the blessing of the Justice Department that the practices would not suppress the black vote. The Supreme Court's decision took that so-called preclearance obligation off the table, so they were freed to go forward, uh, and and they did indeed go uh, go forward. So I, you know, I just don't see evidence that he has where it matters. You know, had a real change of heart. He he, he professed to have a change of heart on a lot of issues before the committee. You know, they asked him about uh, you know is grabbing a woman by her genitals sexual assault. He said yes, it is. Right when he's up for nomination, but when Donald Trump's tape came out, he was asked that very question. He'd say, "I wouldn't characterize uh, that as sexual assault. That would be a stretch 
That's what he, that's the position he took, you know, when he was actually saying what he believed. And similarly, he now says, well, torture and waterboarding are, are illegal. But uh, he praised uh, Michael Mukasey uh, in 2009 for not ruling waterboarding out uh, when Mukasey was coming up for uh, attorney general. He voted against uh, Senator John McCain's amendment in 2005, which was designed to make clear that waterboarding is not uh, uh, not acceptable. Uh, he voted against a more recent amendment just, uh, uh, just a year ago uh, that underscored the impermissibility of waterboarding. So, you know, he now professes to have, you know, to see things he didn't see before, but you know, he's he's saying what needs to be said uh, to get nominated. I think, you know, the American people and the Senate need to really look at what he did when it mattered and when he was free to say what he thought uh, rather than what he says when he's trying to get something. His confirmation conversions. Exactly. But you brought up some other issues in your testimony. One case I did not know about was, I don't know if I'll pronounce this correctly, but it's a company called Tieco. Tyco, Tyco, uh, yep. but not the T Y C O Tyco. It's T I E C E O, and this sounded like a totally political, totally unethical prosecution of a company for business reasons at the behest of a bigger company that was a political contributor to Alabama Republicans. Tell, is that right? Tell, tell me a little about yeah, the case. More, yeah, worse than that, really. So um, it was a, there was a private business dispute between U.S. Steel on the one hand, and Tyco, which was a supplier on the other. U.S. Steel was making donations to, not to the Republican Party, to attorney then Alabama Attorney General Sessions, who was running for senator from Alabama. Uh, their, outside, their outside counsel was also making contributions to Jeff Sessions' senatorial campaign. And what he did was he brought the power of the Alabama District Attorney's Office to bear on the side of one side of a, of a business dispute by filing a 222-count criminal indictment against Tyco for its side of this dispute with uh, U.S. Steel. Uh, like the case uh, against the, uh, uh, the voting rights uh, uh, activists, over half the counts, over 100 counts, were dismissed before trial on the ground that they were baseless, that there was no evidence whatsoever to support these, these counts. By the way, this case, the Alabama Attorney General's office described this as the biggest case they had filed in 25 years. So, and Sessions was very involved in the case throughout. Ultimately, it gets dismissed in 1996 uh, by the judge, the whole case gets dismissed on grounds of prosecutorial misconduct. Very rare for a, ca a criminal case to be dismissed on grounds of prosecutorial misconduct. The judge in this case said it was the worst case of prosecutorial misconduct he had ever seen. So that's what that's what Jeff Sessions did the last time he exercised the power of the prosecutor's office. And it seems to me, you know, we ought to think twice about whether. We want some to give someone the power of the most powerful prosecutor's office in the country, uh, who someone who had overseen that kind of prosecutorial misconduct. We're talking a lot about conflict of interest these days in the Trump administration. I mean, is what what is the way of way of dealing with a clear conflict of interest like that, including the fact that Sessions was a recipient of donations from the people who wanted this 
ultimately groundless prosecution brought? And what kind of discipline would there be in a case like that where essentially, I mean, if you're a private lawyer, you could face disbarment hearings, right? But if you're a U.S. attorney or a state prosecutor, what happens to you? So, yeah, so you should, I think, I think you should uh, wall yourself off from that. You don't, you don't have to deny, you, so there's two, two things you could do. One is you could not take contributions if you're contemplating a criminal action in which one of your potential contributors might benefit. The other thing you could do is wall yourself off from the case. He did neither of those things. He worked hand in glove on this case with the the corporation and their outside counsel uh, who were uh, contributing to him at the time. Now, I will say that there was an ethics complaint filed against him for precisely this case. It went to the Alabama State Ethics Committee, and, and the Ethics Committee uh, voted not to proceed uh, with, with the case. They, they rejected the claim that he had acted unethically. However, they did that in 1995, and the, the decision that dismissed the case on prosecutorial misconduct grounds came a year later, uh, and, and number one, so, so that they didn't have all the evidence of the lying to the court, failing to provide exculpatory evidence, uh, disclosing confidential information to, to, uh, to, the, to the U.S. Steel lawyers, etc. They didn't have all that evidence before them when, the, when the, complaint was, uh, the ethics complaint was filed. But the second point is, you know, when we're putting someone up to become the most powerful prosecutor in the country, it's not just a question of did they engage in ethical violations? You know, eth- it's very hard to actually get ethic, an ethics complaint, um, you know, r- recognized by ethics bodies against lawyers because it's lawyers uh, supervising themselves. It's the profession. There's a lot. Of, and so basically, unless you steal money from a client, uh, you're un- very unlikely to be found to have violated ethics rules. But so whether or not he engaged in unethical conduct, his office engaged in the worst prosecutorial misconduct this uh, judge had ever seen. That may or may not be unethical, but whether it is or isn't, prosecutorial misconduct is a concern uh, when you're putting someone up to be a prosecutor. In all likelihood, Sessions is going to be confirmed, and he's going to take over a Justice Department where there are voting rights cases underway in several states, where there are consent decrees with police departments around police brutality treatment of African-American suspects, you know, there are all sorts of civil rights matters underway at the Justice Department, not to mention U.S. attorneys appointed by President Obama. What's going to happen? Is he going to end all of those cases and prosecutions? Is he going to ignore them? Is he going to defund them? I mean, what do you, what the land, what's the landscape you expect to see at the Department of Justice if he's confirmed? So, you know, one of the reasons that we testified at the, uh, the ACLU, this is the, this is the first time in history that the ACLU has testified in a confirmation hearing um, because we have a longstanding policy of not endorsing or or opposing nominees for uh, appointed or, or elected office. So we just, you know, we just don't testify. But the reason, one of the reasons we did in this case was we think the concerns are and we and I, by the way, I should say we don't we didn't formally oppose him. We expressed our concerns, and we urged the Senate to make sure that they have satisfactory answers to these concerns before they vote. Yes, um, no, but, noted. <laughs> yeah, but the, but the but the the point uh, the, the reason we we sort of broke from tradition here is uh, precisely the concern you raised, uh, which is you know he's going to have the discretion now to either enforce voting rights or not, either enforce hate crimes against uh, women and, and gays and lesbians or not, uh, you know, either to investigate police abuse or not. 
And I think, you know, what he does, I can't predict what he'll do. Um, but what I can say is that what he does will depend in significant part on how we, the public, how we, the citizenry, uh, respond. And if there's a concerted focus on these problems, and if there's a continuing movement for, you know, justice uh, with respect to police abuse, uh, justice with respect to voting rights, uh, if there's an organized um, uh, outcry, uh, then I think he will be compelled to enforce the laws, at least in some measure, and he will be constrained in his ability to just be blind to the problem. So, so I think this is, I see this, and I think the ACLU saw this as an educational process. First, educating, uh, you know, the Senate, uh, the Senate about the problems with uh, this nominee, but then more broadly, just p- putting on the radar screen the areas where we need to be watchful and vigilant uh, as we go forward. The last time anything like this happened, I think, was really the Reagan administration, right, David? I mean, the last time you had leadership at the Justice Department that was openly opposed to civil rights enforcement, v- voting rights enforcement, and so on. What happened then, and does it give it a, give us any sort of uh, guidance about what might happen this time? Well, you know, so so the Reagan administration had some problems, but the Bush administration uh, as well had some problems, and and the uh, you know more the more, most recent history is the uh, the Justice Department under under President George W. Bush using political criteria to go after uh, U.S. attorneys who are supposed to be independent once they are appointed. Um, and it was a huge, uh, a, a huge crisis, a huge scandal. It led to a, an inspector general report and uh, uh, findings of, of wrongdoing and the introduction of a variety of reforms that were designed to reinforce the, the longstanding norm that uh, U.S. attorneys once appointed are supposed to be, uh, are supposed to be uh, independent, that you're not supposed to be interfering in a political way with the career, uh, the career lawyers at, at justice, et, et cetera. You know, that said, what, you know, ultimately these departments are headed up by political appointees. Those political appointees do make a difference. You know, it's no coincidence that the Justice Department issued today, just a few uh, hours ago, uh, a, a a scathing uh, report on the Chicago Police Department and its abuse of uh, citizens' rights. Is that likely to come from a a department under under Jeff Sessions? Uh, less likely. It was less. Uh, the, these kinds of reports were less uh, uh, numerous under George Bush. They were less numerous under Ronald Reagan. Um, and, and, and so, but but again, you know, it's not it's not a done deal. Uh, and I think that's the most important point, right? That is, if it were up to Jeff Sessions, we might have a very very limp uh, enforcement arm with respect to civil rights. It's not only up to Jeff Sessions. It's up to us. And if we, as uh, as the citizenry, in an organized and uh, and strong way, uh, demand uh, that that abuses be uh, responded to, uh, you know, that that will lead to um, uh, that will mitigate uh, the problems that will otherwise uh, we're otherwise likely to see. David, you must know a lot of these U.S. attorneys. I mean, they're people you went to law school with. They're probably your students at this point. I mean, maybe they're, you know, there's no, that was Carl uh, Rove's list, I guess you were referring to. Yeah. They can't they can't be fired explicitly for political reasons. But 
a new administration can make it pretty unpleasant for you and the environment can get pretty uncongenial, shall we say. What do you think these people are going to do? Are they going to stay and fight or are they going to say, you know, I think this is a good time to go into uh, private practice? Well, you know, I think I think the place where it makes the most difference, uh, you know, there are there are lots of areas where it doesn't make that much difference, right? Um, and enforcing serious crimes, uh, defending government, uh, you know, sort of routine government uh, programs, th- those are things that that Democrat and Republican inst- uh, justice departments and U.S. attorneys will do. Arguing for broad executive power—that's something that. You know, Democratic uh, just, uh, justice departments do as well as Republican justice departments. So, but but where it really where the rubber meets the road, where it really makes a difference, is is precisely in this area of civil rights. And I, you know, I've been told that the you know the civil rights division, which has been incredibly active and 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 really done some extraordinarily important work uh, under the Obama administration, that the place is like a morgue right now, that people there, many of the people there will stick around. They're career people. They're not likely to go anywhere. But they saw what happened under uh, under George Bush, and it looks like it could be worse under Donald Trump, and that is uh, political operatives trying to undermine uh, their efforts to enforce our nation's laws. Um, so, you know, it's a, it, it's a, I think many people do stay. Uh, many people do try to, you know, fight the good fight from inside. And the, the extent to which they are successful in that will, you know, I'm, I'm sounding like a broken record now, but will depend on how much uh, outside support they get. I've been speaking to the ACLU's national legal director, David Cole. He testified about, not against, Jeff Sessions' nomination to be Attorney General on Wednesday. David, thanks for joining me on the show. Thanks so much for having me. That's it for today's show. Trumpcast was produced by Jason DeLeon and Dan Bloom. Steve Lichtai is the executive producer of Slate Podcast. Andy Bowers is the chief content officer of the Panoply Network. John Domenico is our voice of Donald Trump. I'm Jacob Weisberg. Thanks for listening to Trumpcast. Cast.